Chapter Eighteen of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Does business with the house of Anthony Chuzzlewit and Son, from which one of the partners retires unexpectedly. Change begets change. Nothing propagates so fast. If a man habituated to a narrow circle of cares and pleasures, out of which he seldom travels, step beyond it, though for never so brief a space, his departure from the monotonous scene on which he has been an actor of importance would seem to be the signal for instant confusion, as if, in the gap he had left, the wedge of change were driven to the head, rending what was a solid mass to fragments. Things cemented and held together by the usage of years burst asunder in as many weeks. The mine which time has slowly dug beneath familiar objects is sprung in an instant, and what was rock before becomes but sand and dust. Most men, at one time or other, have proved this in some degree. The extent to which the natural laws of change asserted their supremacy in that limited sphere of action which Martin had deserted, shall be faithfully set down in these pages. What a cold spring it is, whimpered old Antony, drawing near to the evening fire. It was a warmer season, sure, when I was young. You needn't go scorching your clothes into holes, whether it was or not, observed the amiable Jonas, raising his eyes from yesterday's newspaper. Broadcloth ain't so cheap as that comes to. A good lad, cried the father, breathing on his cold hands and feebly chafing them against each other. A prudent lad. He never delivered himself up to the vanities of dress. No, no. I don't know, though, but I would, though mind you, if I could do it for nothing, said his son as he resumed the paper. Ah, chuckled the old man, if indeed, but it's very cold. Let the fire be, cried Mr. Jonas, stopping his honoured parent's hand in the use of the poker. Do you mean to come to want in your old age that you're taking to wasting now? There's not time for that, Jonas, said the old man. Not time for what, bawled his hair. For me to come to want, I wish there was. You always were as selfish an old blade as need be, said Jonas in a voice too low for him to hear, and looking at him with an angry frown. You act up to your character. You wouldn't mind coming to want, wouldn't you? I dare say you wouldn't. And your own flesh and blood might come to want too, might they, for anything you cared. Oh, you precious old flint. After this dutiful address, he took his teacup in his hand, for that meal was in progress, and the father and son and Chuffey were partakers of it. Then, looking steadfastly at his father, and stopping now and then to carry a spoonful of tea to his lips, he proceeded in the same tone, thus. "'Want, indeed! You're a nice old man to be talking of want at this time of day. Beginning to talk of want, are you? Well, I declare. There isn't time. No, I should hope not. But you'd live to be a couple of hundred if you could, and after all be discontented. I know you.' The old man sighed and sat cowering before the fire. Mr. Jonas shook his Britannia metal teaspoon at him, and taking a loftier position, went on to argue the point on high moral grounds. "'If you're in such a state of mind as that,' he grumbled, but in the same subdued key, "'why don't you make over your property? Buy an annuity cheap, and make your life interesting to yourself and everybody else that watches the speculation. But no, that wouldn't suit you. That would be natural conduct to your own son.' and you'd like to be unnatural to keep him out of his rights. Why, I shouldn't be ashamed of myself if I was you, and glad to hide my head in the watcher, call it. Possibly this general phrase supplied the place of grave, or tomb, or sepulchre, or cemetery, or mausoleum, or other such word which the filial tenderness of Mr. Jonas made him delicate of pronouncing. 
he pursued the theme no further for chuffey somehow discovering from his old corner by the fireside that anthony was in the attitude of a listener and that jonas appeared to be speaking suddenly cried out like one inspired he is your own son mr chuzzlewit your own son sir old chuffey little suspected what depth of application these words had or that in the bitter satire which they bore they might have sunk into the old man's very soul could he have known what words were hanging on his own son's lips or what was passing in his thoughts but the voice diverted the current of anthony's reflections and roused him yes yes chuffey jonas is a chip off the old block it's a very old block now chuffey said the old man with a strange look of discomposure precious old assented jonas no 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 said chuffey no mr chuzzlewit not old at all sir oh he's worse than ever you know cried jonas quite disgusted upon my soul father he's getting too bad hold your tongue will you he says you're wrong cried anthony to the old clerk tut tut was chuffey's answer i know better i say he's wrong i say he's wrong he's a boy that's what he is so are you mr chuzzlewit a kind of boy ha <laughs> ha you're quite a boy too many i have known you're a boy to me you're a boy to hundreds of us don't mind him with which extraordinary speech for in the case of chuffey this was a burst of eloquence without parallel the poor old shadow drew through his palsied arm his master's hand and held it there with his own folded upon it as if he would defend him i grow deafer every day chuff said anthony with as much softness of manner or to describe it more correctly with as little hardness as he was capable of expressing no no cried chuffey you don't what if you did i've been deaf this twenty year i grow blinder too said the old man shaking his head that's a good sign cried chuffey ha ha the best sign in the world you saw too well before he patted anthony upon the hand as one might comfort a child and drawing the old man's arm still further through his own shook his trembling fingers towards the spot where jonas sat as though he would wave him off but anthony remaining quite still and silent he relaxed his hold by slow degrees and lapsed into his usual niche in the corner merely putting forth his hand at intervals and touching his old employer gently on the coat as with the design of assuring himself that he was yet beside him mr jonas was so very much amazed by these proceedings that he could do nothing but stare at the two old men until chuffey had fallen into his usual state and anthony had sunk into a doze when he gave some vent to his emotions by going close up to the former personage and making as though he would in vulgar parlance punch his head they've been carrying on this game thought jonas in a brown study for the last two or three weeks i never saw my father take so much notice of him as he has in that time what you're legacy hunting are you mr chuff eh but chuffey was as little conscious of the thought as of the bodily advance of mr jonas's clenched fist which hovered fondly about his ear when he had scowled at him to his heart's content jonas took the candle from the table and walking into the glass office produced a bunch of keys from his pocket with one of these he opened a secret drawer in the desk peeping stealthily out as he did so to be certain that the two old men were still before the fire all right as ever said jonas propping the lid of the desk open with his forehead and unfolding a paper here's the will mr chuff thirty pound a year for your maintenance old boy and all the rest to his only son jonas you needn't trouble yourself to be too affectionate you won't get anything by it what's that it was startling certainly a face on the other side of the glass partition looking curiously in and not at him but at the paper in his hand for the eyes were attentively cast down upon the writing 
and were swiftly raised when he cried out. Then they met his own, and were as the eyes of Mr. Pecksniff. Suffering the lid of the desk to fall with a loud noise, but not forgetting even then to lock it, Jonas, pale and breathless, gazed upon this phantom. It moved, opened the door, and walked in. "'What's the matter?' cried Jonas, falling back. "'Who is it? Where do you come from? What do you want?' "'Matter?' cried the voice of Mr. Pecksniff, as Pecksniff in the flesh smiled amiably upon him. "'The matter, Mr. Jonas?' "'Why are you prying and peering about here for?' said Jonas angrily. "'What do you mean by coming up to town in this way and taking one unawares? "'It's precious odd a man can't read the, the newspaper in his own office "'without being startled out of his wits by people coming in without notice. "'Why didn't you knock at the door?' "'So I did, Mr. Jonas,' answered Pecksniff. "'But no one heard me. "'I was curious,' he added in his gentle way, "'as he laid his hand upon the young man's shoulder, "'to find out what part of the newspaper interested you so much.' but the glass was too dim and dirty. Jonas glanced in haste at the partition. Well, it wasn't very clean, so far he spoke the truth. Was it poetry now? said Mr. Pecksniff, shaking the forefinger of his right hand with an air of cheerful banter. Or was it politics? Or was it the price of stock? The main chance, Mr. Jonas, the main chance, I suspect. You ain't far from the truth, answered Jonas, recovering himself and snuffing the candle. "'But how the deuce do you come to be in London again? "'Ecod, it's enough to make a man stare "'to see a fellow looking at him all of a sudden, "'who he thought was sixty or seventy mile away.' "'So it is,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'No doubt of it, my dear Jonas, "'for while the human mind is constituted as it is... "'Oh, bother the human mind!' "'interrupted Jonas with impatience. "'What have you come up for?' "'A little matter of business,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'which has arisen quite unexpectedly.' oh cried jonas is that all well here's father in the next room hello father here's pecksniff he gets more addle-pated every day he lives i do believe muttered jonas shaking his honoured parent roundly don't i tell you pecksniff's here stupid head the combined effects of the shaking and this loving remonstrance soon awoke the old man who gave mr pecksniff a chuckling welcome which was attributable in part to his being glad to see that gentleman and in part to his unfading delight at the recollection of having called him a hypocrite. As Mr. Pecksniff had not yet taken tea, indeed he had but an hour before arrived in London, the remains of the late collation with a rasher of bacon were served up for his entertainment, and as Mr. Jonas had a business appointment in the next street, he stepped out to keep it, promising to return before Mr. Pecksniff could finish his repast. "'And now, my good sir,' said Mr. Pecksniff to Antony, "'now that we are alone, pray tell me what I can do for you. "'I say alone, because I believe that our dear friend Mr. Chuffey "'is, metaphysically speaking, a, uh, shall I say, a dummy?' "'asked Mr. Pecksniff, with his sweetest smile, "'and his head very much on one side. "'He neither hears us,' replied Antony, "'nor sees us.' "'Why, then,' said Mr. Pecksniff, "'I will be bold to say, with the utmost sympathy for his afflictions,' and the greatest admiration of those excellent qualities which do equal honour to his head and his heart, that he is, what is playfully termed, a dummy. You are going to observe, my dear sir? I was not going to make any observation that I know of, replied the old man. I was, said Mr. Pecksniff mildly. Oh, you were. What was it? That I never, said Mr. Pecksniff, previously rising to see that the door was shut and arranging his chair when he came back, so that it could not be opened in the least without his immediately becoming aware of the circumstance, that I never in my life was so astonished by the receipt of your letter yesterday, that you should do me the honour 
to wish to take counsel with me on any matter amaze me but that you should desire to do so to the exclusion of even mr jonas showed an amount of confidence in one to whom you had done a verbal injury merely a verbal injury you were anxious to repair which gratified which moved which overcame me he was always a glib speaker but he delivered this short address very glibly having been at some pains to compose it outside the coach although he paused for a reply and truly said that he was there at antony's request the old man sat gazing at him in profound silence and with a perfectly blank face nor did he seem to have the least desire or impulse to pursue the conversation though mr pecksniff looked towards the door and pulled out his watch and gave him many other hints that their time was short and jonas if he kept his word would soon return but the strangest incident in all this strange behaviour was that of a sudden in a moment so swiftly that it was impossible to trace how or to observe any process of change his features fell into their old expression and he cried striking his hand passionately upon the table as if no interval at all had taken place will you hold your tongue sir and let me speak mr pecksniff deferred to him with a submissive bow and said within himself i knew his hand was changed and that his writing staggered i said so yesterday um dear me jonas is sweet upon your daughter pecksniff said the old man in his usual tone we spoke of that if you remember sir at mrs todgers replied the courteous architect you needn't speak so loud retorted antony i'm not so deaf as that mr pecksniff had certainly raised his voice pretty high not so much because he thought antony was deaf as because he felt convinced that his perceptive faculties were waxing dim but this quick resentment of his considerate behaviour greatly disconcerted him and not knowing what tack to shape his course upon he made another inclination of the head yet more submissive than the last i have said repeated the old man that jonas is sweet upon your daughter a charming girl sir murmured mr pecksniff seeing that he waited for an answer a dear girl mr chuzzlewit though i say it who should not you know better cried the old man advancing his weazen face at least a yard and starting forward in his chair to do it you lie what you will be a hypocrite will you my good sir mr pecksniff began don't call me a good sir retorted antony and don't claim to be one yourself if your daughter was what you think you would have me believe she wouldn't do for jonas being what she is i think she will he might be deceived in a wife she might run riot contract debts and waste his substance now when i am dead his face altered so horribly as he said the word that mr pecksniff really was fain to look another way it will be worse for me to know of such doings than if i was alive for to be tormented for getting that together which even while i suffer for its acquisition is flung into the very kennels of the streets would be insupportable torture no said the old man hoarsely let that be saved at least let there be something gained and kept fast hold of when so much is lost my dear mr chuzzlewit said pecksniff these are unwholesome fancies quite unnecessary sir quite uncalled for for i am sure the truth is my dear sir that you are not well not dying though cried antony with something like the snarl of a wild animal not yet there are years of life in me why look at him pointing to his feeble clerk death has no right to leave him standing and to mow me down mr pecksniff was so much afraid of the old man and so completely taken aback by the state in which he found him that he had not even the presence of mind enough to call up a scrap of morality 
from the great storehouse within his own breast therefore he stammered out that no doubt it was in fairness and decency mr chuffey's turn to expire and that from all he had heard of mr chuffey and the little he had the pleasure of knowing of that gentleman personally he felt convinced in his own mind that he would see the propriety of expiring with as little delay as possible come here said the old man beckoning him to draw nearer jonas will be my heir jonas will be rich and a great catch for you you know that jonas is sweet upon your daughter i know that too thought mr pecksniff for you have said it often enough he might get more money than with her said the old man but she will help him take care of what they have she is not too young or heedless and comes of good hard griping stock but don't you play too fine a game she only holds him by a thread if you draw it too tight i know his temper it'll snap bind him when he's in the mood pecksniff bind him you're too deep in your way of leading him on bah you man of oil have i no eyes to see how you have angled with him from the first now i wonder thought mr pecksniff looking at him with a wistful face whether this is all he has to say old antony rubbed his hands and muttered to himself complained again that he was cold drew his chair before the fire and sitting with his back to mr pecksniff and his chin sunk down upon his breast was in another minute quite regardless or forgetful of his presence uncouth and unsatisfactory as this short interview had been it had furnished mr pecksniff with a hint which supposing nothing further were imparted to him repaid the journey up and home again for the good gentleman had never for want of an opportunity dived into the depths of mr jonas's nature and any recipe for catching such a son-in-law much more one written on a leaf out of his own father's book was worth the having in order that he might lose no chance of improving so fair an opportunity by allowing antony to fall asleep before he had finished all he had to say mr pecksniff in the disposal of refreshments on the table a work to which he now applied himself in earnest resorted to many ingenious contrivances for attracting his attention such as coughing sneezing clattering the teacups sharpening the knives dropping the loaf and so forth but all in vain for mr jonas returned and antony had said no more what my father asleep again he cried as he hung up his hat and cast a look at him ah and snoring only here he snores very deep said mr pecksniff snores deep repeated jonas yeah let him alone for that he'll snore for six at any time do you know mr jonas said pecksniff that i think your father is don't let me alarm you breaking oh is he though replied jonas with a shake of the head which expressed the closeness of his dutiful observation ecod you don't know how tough he is he ain't upon the move yet it struck me that he was changed both in his appearance and manner said mr pecksniff that's all you know about it returned jonas seating himself with a melancholy air he never was better than he is now how are they all at home how's charity blooming mr jonas blooming and the other one how's she volatile trifler said mr pecksniff fondly musing she is well she is well roving from parlour to bedroom mr jonas like a bee skimming from post to pillar like the butterfly dipping her young beak into our current wine like the humming-bird ah were she a little less giddy than she is and had she but the sterling qualities of cherry my young friend is she so very giddy then asked jonas well well said mr pecksniff with great feeling let me not be hard upon my child 
beside her sister cherry she appears so a strange noise that mr jonas something wrong in the clock i suppose said jonas glancing towards it so the other one ain't your favourite ain't she the father was about to reply and had already summoned into his face a look of almost intense sensibility when the sound he had already noticed was repeated upon my word mr jonas that is a very extraordinary clock said pecksniff it would have been if it had made the noise which startled them but another kind of timepiece was fast running down and from that the sound proceeded a scream from chuffey rendered a hundred times more loud and formidable by his silent habits made the house ring from roof to cellar and looking round they saw anthony chuzzlewit extended on the floor with the old clerk upon his knees beside him he had fallen from his chair in a fit and lay there battling for each gasp of breath with every shrivelled vein and sinew starting in its place as if it were bent on bearing witness to his age and sternly pleading with nature against his recovery it was frightful to see how the principle of life shut up within his withered frame fought like a strong devil mad to be released and rent its ancient prison-house a young man in the fullness of his vigour struggling with so much strength of desperation would have been a dismal sight but an old old shrunken body endowed with pre-natural might and giving the lie in every motion of its every limb and joint to its enfeebled aspect was a hideous spectacle indeed they raised him up and fetched a surgeon with all haste who bled the patient and applied some remedies but the fits held him so long that it was past midnight when they got him quiet now but quite unconscious and exhausted into bed don't go said jonas putting his ashy lips to mr pecksniff's ear and whispered across the bed it was a mercy you were present when he was taken ill someone might have said it was my doing your doing cried mr pecksniff i don't know but they might he replied wiping the moisture from his white face people say such things how does he look now mr pecksniff shook his head i used to joke you know said jonas but i never wished him dead do you think he's very bad the doctor said he was you heard was mr pecksniff's answer ah but he might say that to charge us more in case of his getting well said jonas you mustn't go away pecksniff now it's come to this i wouldn't be without a witness for a thousand pound chuffey said not a word and heard not a word he had sat himself down in a chair at the bedside and there he remained motionless except that he sometimes bent his head over the pillow and seemed to listen he never changed in this though once in the dreary night mr pecksniff having dozed awoke with a confused impression that he had heard him praying and strangely mingling figures not of speech but arithmetic with his broken prayers jonas sat there too all night not where his father could have seen him had his consciousness returned but hiding as it were behind him and only reading how he looked in mr pecksniff's eyes he the coarse upstart who had ruled the house so long that craven cur who was afraid to move and shook so that his very shadow fluttered on the wall it was broad bright stirring day when leaving the old clerk to watch him they went down to breakfast people hurried up and down the street windows and doors were opened thieves and beggars took their usual posts workmen bestirred themselves tradesmen set forth their shops bailiffs and constables were on the watch all kinds of human creatures strove in their several ways as hard to live as the one sick old man who combated for every grain of sand in his fast emptying glass as eagerly 
as if it were an empire. If anything happens, Pecksniff, said Jonas, you must promise me to stop here until it's all over. You shall see that I do what's right. I know that you will do what's right, Mr. Jonas, said Pecksniff. Yes, yes, but I won't be doubted. No one shall have it in his power to say syllable against me, he returned. I know how people will talk, just as if he wasn't old, or I had the secret of keeping him alive. Mr. Pecksniff promised that he would remain, if circumstances should render it, in his esteemed friend's opinion, desirable. They were finishing their meal in silence, when suddenly an apparition stood before them, so ghastly to the view, that Jonas shrieked aloud, and both recoiled in horror. Old Antony, dressed in his usual clothes, was in the room, beside the table. He leaned upon the shoulder of his solitary friend, and on his livid face, and on his horny hands, and in his glassy eyes, and traced by an eternal finger in the very drops of sweat upon his brow, was one word, death. He spoke to them in something of his own voice too, but sharpened and made hollow like a dead man's face. What he would have said, God knows. He seemed to utter words, but they were such as a man had never heard. And this was the most fearful circumstance of all, to see him standing there, gabbling in an unearthly tongue. He's better now, said Chuffey. Better now. Let him sit in his old chair, and he'll be well again. I told him not to mind. I said so yesterday. They put him in his easy chair, and wheeled it near the window. Then, swinging open the door, exposed him to the free current of morning air. But not all the air that is, nor all the winds that ever blew, twixt heaven and earth, could have brought new life to him. Plunge him to the throat in golden pieces now, and his heavy fingers shall not close on one. End of chapter 18